Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Jane, and if somebody's saying they want their Bible to look like yours, what they're actually saying is, I want my life to look like yours. They're seeing something in you that they're like, I want some of that. And that comes because your Bible, you know, there's a a saying, isn't there, that um, Bibles that are fallen apart are read by people whose lives aren't. And that actually, in, in the fact that you're in the Word of God, no matter what, God's going to speak to us. Um, and help it so that our life doesn't fall apart, even though it might look really hard. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about when life is hard, and life does get hard, and there's times when uh, life is tough. Why is life hard? Because life's a battle. That's the way the Bible would describe it. It's a war. So do we expect war to be easy? Do we expect a battle to always be nice? Sorry. Yeah, but we do, don't we? Because we, we expect our life to be easy, very often. And we expect the things that happen to us to be nice. But we forget the context of the Bible. The whole beginning, the story is it started out good. And then, within a couple of pages, we're in the middle of a war. We're in the middle of a battle. We're in the middle of a fight. And literally, we're now in the middle that's where we are so life is hard life is tough life is a battle the bible doesn't shy away from that it doesn't pretend it isn't there's all kinds of different religious belief systems and philosophies and some way that people some some of them will deal with it just by denying its existence that that is the reality of life they'll say oh well you know life doesn't even matter anyway and you know just sort of or there is no good and bad there's nothing going on just dismiss it and and uh, you know just or some people will the way to deal with it is just in, in some way to deal with it yourself just get go and get drunk go and get wasted go and have some fun just you know like that kind of nihilistic let's just or, or, or just to be fully kind of um yeah to, to to just live for yourself live for now live for today don't bother about anybody else all those they're all manner there are ways in which people try to deal with the fact that life is hard at times we all have our own coping mechanisms for that. But the Bible would say, yeah, there is good and there's lots of good, but there's also evil. And I don't know what you believe about this or think about it right now, but the Apostle Paul, when he was helping some people in the church to try and make sense of it, he said, you know what, when we think we're fighting against flesh and blood, we're really not. They're actually, there's spiritual battles that are going on all of the time. There's an invisible war. And we can get focused on what's happening on the physical, but there's an invisible spiritual battle that is taking place all the time because God loves you and wants you to be his friend forever, but you also have an enemy and he wants to steal, kill and destroy. It's all he ever wants to do. He never changes his mind on doing that. And if God gives you a dream and we're looking at somebody who God gave a dream to when he was young... The enemy wants to turn it into a nightmare. He wants everything in your life to be a nightmare. Christianity, again, does not deny this. It doesn't promise anybody a pain-free existence. It doesn't promise everybody that, that everything's just going to be all right just yet. 
so it's very important that we face the hardness of life or in the end you will, your, your life will give way to disappointment. Your, your hope will go. You will be hopeless. And we're in a year of hope. But there's a plan to make you hopeless. How do you become hopeless? You hope less. That's how you become hopeless. Every day you hope less today than you did yesterday. And in the end, you end up hopeless. There's an antidote. His name is Jesus. The antidote to hopelessness is not hope, actually. The antidote to hopelessness is Jesus. Because he is our hope. So it isn't like, oh, stop being hopeless and, and have some hope. No, stop being hopeless and have some Jesus. Get some Jesus. Because with him, you're going to get hope. If you've, got, if you've been hoping less, you need more Jesus. That's who you need. You don't just need to try and hope more. You need more Jesus today. That's what, what you need. Does anybody agree with what I'm saying? That's what we need. We need, I, need I don't just need more hope. I don't just need to get, try and be optimistic or cheer myself up. I need more Jesus. That's what, that's, it's not what I need. It's who I need. I need more Jesus. And so I'm really glad that this is Ivy's year of hope because hope is like the antidote to discouragement. The devil, the story is told one day, was putting up all his tools for sale and they had prices marked on them as he laid them out for the public sale and there was lots of treacherous instruments on, on offer. There was hatred and there was lies and there was envy and there was jealousy and deceit and pride and lust and, but then set apart from all the rest of them and, and, and priced way higher than all the rest was this really well-worn tool and somebody came up, a customer, and said, what's the name of this one? That, the devil replied, is discouragement. Oh, well, why is it set apart from all the others and why is it priced higher than all of the other ones? Well, the devil said, because discouragement is more useful to me than all the others. When I can't get at somebody with any of the other tools, I can always use this one. I can pry open a heart with that tool of discouragement. And once I've done that, I can get all the other stuff in there too. And the reason it's expensive is because it's so valuable to me. And the reason it's so well-worn is that I use it on people all the time. And they just don't know that it's me that's doing it and it's my tool. Discouragement is still the devil's favourite tool. And he's been using it on some of us for months. And we need to wake up to that. We need to wake up to that and recognise that and say, actually... That discouragement isn't just because life's like this. It's because I'm under attack. It's because something is coming against me. Somebody's coming against me. And I need to guard my heart. The Bible says, above all else, guard the heart. Watch your heart, for from it flow all the issues of life. There's a breastplate of righteousness, the Bible says, that we have to put in place to be able to cover and protect this heart that God wants for himself. So I love Joseph's story. I love, when we were thinking about the year of hope, when, when I just thought, let's, let's look at, at Joseph, because there's so much in this story of Joseph. And it tells it like it is, and it does tell us how hard life can be, but at the same time, there's hope on every page. Joseph knew how tough life can be. His mum died when he was just a baby. And then he grows up in this big family with all these brothers who don't like him, it turns out. 
He's just, you know, this is mixed family going up. He's got a dad who, who's a bit of an oddball, to be honest with you. If you look at Jacob, he's one of the most famous people in the Bible, but he's kind of famous for being deceptive. He's famous for being, um, you know, difficult in all kinds of ways. So he may be not the easiest dad. He hasn't got his mum. He's got stepmothers and, and, um, and Joseph is Jacob's favourite. But in a way, he, he feels a bit like he wants to live his life through his son. You know, you can see that sometimes. You go to Saturday football matches. I used to do that with Joel when he was little. And he'd have these guys there with a great big beer belly shouting the sun on, go on! And it was like, you know, and then they would know all about football. But you knew they couldn't run from here to there. But that can happen, can't it? And so he comes and he wants to put a coat on him. People will want to put a coat on you. People will want to come and put something that they think is important on you and tell you this is important. You've got to watch what coat people put on you or what they offer to you. He had this thing, I'm going to put this on you, this coat of many colours. I'm going to set you apart. He, he's actually bigging him up in all kinds of ways. And who, who of us doesn't like that, if we're honest? Somebody to come alongside and go, oh, you're amazing. You're brilliant. You're fantastic. You've got to watch when they're giving it you, are they giving it to you for you or are they giving it to you for them? When they're saying those kind of things. Some of us have got to watch that we do that to other people, the way in which we speak to people. Sometimes I, I, I could be doing that, bigging you up, but really it's, it's in some way because I'm wanting something from that. And I think maybe there's something going on there with Jacob because suddenly he, he raises him up as the favourite, but bad move as a parent, bad move as a grandparent. I'm, I know that. Bad move as a leader, bad news as a friend, to pick somebody out and, and, and point them out as being, this is the favourite in some way, because that doesn't really help the other people around. And so they start to intimidate, because he, he says that, he, that Joseph's got some dreams, you were here last week, Joseph's got some dreams, and, and they hate his dreams, and they hate the way he talks about them. They hate both. They don't just hate the dream, they hate the dreamer, they hate the way that he talks about it. There's ways if God gives you a dream to talk about it and ways not to. There's people to talk to and people not to talk to. There's things to pray about and talk to God about. And there's things that you don't have to just go and share with everybody. Because again, you start to share your dream and other people might be there to help you. Other people are there and they might want to just be haters and they're going to pull you down. And they think that in pulling you down, it raises them up and that's why they do it. It's the only reason people ever do it. I'm going to pull you down to make me feel better. That's the reason people do it. You put something on social media and immediately you get people going in. You know? Delete. Unfriend. I advise you, don't mess about with it. You know, they're not a friend. What's your, um, what's your definition of friend? Maybe some of us need to get better at unfriending. It's all right. Because actually, no, sorry, you're not... You haven't got my back unless I present it to you and it's, sorry, did I, my back hurt your knife? So we're going to see today how, how his brothers betrayed him, how he was torn from his home and became a slave for 13 years. Some of you have seen that film, 12 Years a Slave. 13 years Joseph has to endure slavery. And then he's thrown into a prison, falsely accused, forgotten about. If anybody ever knew how hard life can be, ask Joseph. So we're going to look at Genesis chapter 37. Some of you might have your Bibles. You can do them on your phones or whatever you want. Jane's got hers, but she's not going to share it. And 
If you were here last week, or if you ever even watched the musical about Joseph, you're going to know, again, he's the favourite son, and, and he's got, so his dad, again, bad mood, gives him like the high-vis jacket and the, the health and safety tick box clipboard and sends him off to go and check up on his brothers and see how they're doing. How's that going to go down with them? And he says, when they saw him from a distance, they plotted to kill Joseph. Let's kill the dreamer. Literally, literally the word there is master of dreams. Let's kill the master of dreams. If we kill the dreamer, we kill the dream. And what was the dream? One day you're all going to bow down to me. They're like, no, we are not. So we kill the dreamer, we kill the dream. Verse 21, Reuben, the oldest brother, said, let's not take his life, shed no blood, throw him into this pit out here in the wilderness and let's leave him to die. It says he actually wanted to rescue him later. So what's happening here is Reuben's trying to find a way to not kill him, but he ends up in a lie, which then becomes a, a worse lie and a deeper lie, and, it gets, and, and he gets trapped up in this, caught up in this lie. Rather than just saying, no, let's not do it. He kind of wants to go along with it in some way. When Joseph arrived, they ripped off his robe, they hated the robe, remember? And they took him and threw him into the pit. The pit was empty with no water in it because it's, it's summertime. So it's, it's just this empty well. How hopeless would Joseph feel right now? It's hard to hope when you're discouraged, when you're in the pits, when you feel like life is the pits, when you've been struck down. That's what happened to Joseph. He's struck down. The, the well would be shaped like a bottle. Wider at the top, going down at the bottom and then... And then a hole at the bottom, and it would have just slick and slippery walls, no way out. Have you ever been stuck? Ever felt stuck? He's stuck. That's what he literally is. He's 17 years of age. He's on his own. He's in the dark. He's, he's crying out. He's shouting. He can hear his brothers up above him laughing. They're having their meal, it says. They're just laughing about it. He's thinking, oh, maybe it's a joke. Come on, lads. Come on, let me out. Don't leave me down here. But he's stuck. He's stuck down there. And then, and then somebody spots this Arab traders going by. And verse 26, Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to just cover up the crime. Let's sell him to these slave traders. Look at this. After all, he's our brother. It's like, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him. Let's sell him out. So they pulled him up and sold him on to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. That's the price of a slave. And this terrified teenager, is, he, he's coming out. Imagine he's going to get hope back for a minute. Oh, oh good, you're helping me out. But now they're just selling him on to this group of people who are headed for Egypt because he's literally been sold out, betrayed. Ever been sold out? Ever been betrayed? People that you thought would, would help you, but they sold you out instead. Somebody said, you know, you've heard of the phrase, the life, life is a school of hard knocks well Joseph's in school right now and the colours of the school are black and blue and if you read around other bits of the Bible later on you can see that Joseph's brothers when they come back and remember this years later they say truly we're guilty because we saw the distress of his soul when he pleaded with us but we wouldn't listen he's pleading with them no no don't don't sell me don't give me to them he's pleading with them he's crying out don't do that no mercy they're not listening they're not going to kill him but they just get what they can get out of him and all the time Joseph what is I mean if he, if he was you he must be thinking what about the dream what about the, the dream how can they do this to me why did I have those dreams 
And he's got no robe now. He's, he's stripped probably naked and thrown into a cage or something like that and sold out for profit. And it still happens, doesn't it? Modern day slavery. I remember years ago getting a thing on the bottom of, a, of an email. Uh, this was, when, oh, I don't know, must have been 18, 19 years ago. And somebody had put on, slavery still exists. And, and I thought, no, it doesn't. It was news to me. It literally was news to me. So we hear about it these days. There was a time when you didn't hear about that. You didn't know that actually, and sometimes we live as if we don't know. Sometimes I forget that actually human trafficking, slavery, modern day slavery, still goes on. That people are still being tricked or physically forced into becoming sex workers or other people are manipulated or, or forced to work in the most inhumane conditions. Over 40 million men, women and children are classified as victims of modern slavery on any given day in 2016. Let that number sink in. It's real people. Women and girls make up 71%. In the UK, the most robust current estimate, which is quoted by Safe UK, which was founded by my best friend from the police, John Pycos, founded an organisation called Safe UK. His, his figures that they looked at estimated over 10,000 potential victims in the UK in 2013. Last year, there was close to 1,000 children in the UK reported through the National Referral Mechanism. So find out about hope for justice and safe and, and, and these kind of things and do what we can to be able to pray for and help people that are doing something about this. But it's too late for Reuben. He comes back and, he, and he's like, what's happened to Joseph? And then he's, how can I tell my father and what have we done? And he's like, oh no. But Joseph's gone. Nothing he can do now. And, and so they, they continue in the lie. They, they get his... his they kill a goat, they, they get the robe, they dip it in the blood, they take it to his, the dad and they say, this is, he must have been attacked by a wild animal. And it nearly kills Jacob to hear what's happened. He can't believe it. He says he just went down into this deep depression himself. And, and, and while he's thinking that, what's Joseph thinking? Because now he's, he's in chains. There's a psalm that says that they put, they put fetters of iron around his ankles and around his neck. He's, he's dragged off, he's properly a slave. And he's, he's put on the block and he's sold by his brothers. And it, it, how can he have hope there when you're standing on the slave block waiting to be sold on? How can he still hold on to hope? Would you? You know, maybe your only hope is that somehow you'll get better. I'm, I'm like an eternal optimist. I genuinely, it doesn't take me long to start to think of a bright side. I pretty much will fairly soon. But what about when the light at the end of the tunnel turns out to be a train coming your way? Well, where's your hope then when it goes from bad to worse? Because that's what happens because he's been struck down and he's been sold out and then he ends up being stitched up. I haven't got time for all of this, but he's sold into the house of a, a guy called Potiphar, who is the captain of the royal bodyguard. Very important um, position. Some people say he's like, you could translate it as the chief executioner. He's in charge of the justice system of the whole of the Egyptian empire for the pharaoh. So he's right next to the royal palace. And, um, and again, it's, this is where he ends up. And it's not where Joseph would have planned to be. It's not his dream job. But he's learning there. Ever found yourself in a job, and James was talking about this, and initially you might think, what am I here for? Why am I here? Well, again, Joseph must have been thinking this, but it just so happens, what's he learning? 
He's learning about the courts. He's learning about the palace. He's learning the language of the Egyptians. He's learning the customs. He's learning how things work in the palace. Might this come in handy at some point later in his life? Yeah, but you can't see it now. The things that we're going through, we can't see when we're going through them that actually they might be preparing us for something different and better in the future. Right now, it just feels awful. Soren Kierkegaard famously said, life has to be lived forwards but can only be understood backwards. It's like looking back, Joseph's going to be able to say, and we know this later on, he's going to say, you intended it for evil but God intended it for good, but right now he's in the middle of the evil. And Potiphar says, there's something very special about this young man. And he gives him responsibility and he takes it and he serves with it and he does something better with it. Whatever he gives him, he does something, he works with it. He doesn't just sit around moaning about it. Let me tell you about what my brothers did to me. No, he gets on with what he's got to get on with and he goes and gets promoted. And in the end, he's in charge of the whole of his household. What's the secret of his success? Well, if you read it four times in the next chapter, it says this, the Lord was with Joseph. So he became a successful man in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw the Lord was with him. That's interesting after what we heard about Jane, isn't it? That he saw that the Lord was with him. And how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hands. So Joseph found favour in his sight and became his personal servant. He made him overseer of his house and all that he owned he put in his charge. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. Are the people around you blessed because you're there? Would the people around you say being around you is a blessing? Joseph was put in charge of it all because God was still in charge of Joseph. Even though Joseph was torn away from his homeland, even though he'd been betrayed by his family, even though he was no longer a free man, even though he felt on his own, he wasn't because the Lord was with him. All the way. All the time. And I'm sure there must have been times when Joseph couldn't see it. Not from where he was sitting, but... Now he's connected, connected to the court of Pharaoh. He's meeting nobility. He's becoming familiar, as I say, with all the ways, all the protocols of Egypt. And again, could that come in handy one day? We're going to find out. One of the most loved promises in the Bible is this, Romans 8.28. Say it with me. Is it up there on the screen? Romans 8.28. And we know... When you grab hold of that, in a year of hope, it changes everything. It will change anything, any situation, that promise. It's helped so many people when they're going through to get through what they're going through. Could you say this with me? When things don't go the way they should, God always makes them turn for good. Okay, you said it once, now we'll say it with a little smile on our face. Okay, because it was a bit... Miserable. Ready? When things don't go the way they should, God always makes them turn for good. It's nice, isn't it? <laughs> Only God can do that. It doesn't say all things are good, does it? It doesn't say all things are good. The Bible doesn't deny the badness. But God is always good. It doesn't say this is true for everybody either. Look at the promise. 
Who claims this promise? Who can claim this promise? Come on, think about it. Those who love God and are called according to his purpose. You know you're called according to his purpose. You know you're loved by him. God's going to work something out. Those who love God. Is that you? Tim, anybody else? Sorry, I'm going to ask again. Do you love God? Do you love God? This is, what, this is what Jesus asked Peter after a failure, by the way, when he was feeling so down and so messed up. He looked at him and he said, Peter, do you love me? You know, yeah, I love you. No, do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. Great, I can use you. That's it, that's the qualification. And in a minute, we're going to watch a video and, and I'm going to invite you to, to come. And especially, first off, first time, anybody who just wants to say to Jesus, I love you, I want to follow you, no matter what it looks like, no matter where it leads, no matter what it feels like right now, for the first time, I'm going to invite somebody to come up and just grab hold of one of these. So I've got these little anchors that are made. And we've been in this year of hope talking about God wants to be an anchor. His hope wants to be an anchor for your soul. I invite you to come up here, grab one of these. And this is a first time thing for somebody to come up and say, I want to follow Jesus today. Could just be one person just to come up really brave after the video and say, yes, please. And grab hold of that and take hold of one of these anchors. Okay, so I'm going to put it down here for now. So we'll watch the video and we'll see what Jesus and only Jesus can do. And invite you to come up and grab hold of that. That only comes in him, his love that will lead us. Just think about, I asked you if you love him. You might think, well, I'm not sure if I love him. Think about how much he loves you, because it's that thing of when you think about how much somebody loves you, you can love him. Well, what we, did, we just sang about, we sang about the blood. It's a yucky, horrible thing to think about, to sing about blood. And until you realise what it means, when you think about the cross, his beautiful robe, which wasn't dipped in goat's blood, but, and it wasn't torn, because the soldiers wouldn't tear it. They just stripped him naked and put him up on the cross and his blood was shed so that he was forgiven. And he was betrayed by a brother. He was betrayed by Judas with a kiss. He was sold out. He was stitched up by liars. Betrayed. For you. So that you and me could be free. That's how much he loves us. And if you love him back, he doesn't say he causes all things. Does he say he causes all things? No, he doesn't cause all things, but he can cause all things, everything to work somehow together for good for those who love him back, for those who are called according to his purpose. See, God never forgets the dream. That's my wife going to work. He never, he, God never forgets the dream. He never forgets the dream. So, he's in the mess. He's in the, it gets worse. Potiphar's wife falsely accuses him. Verse 6 says that he's ham- handsome in form and appearance. Some of us, you know, it's just a cross we have to bear. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're handsome in form and appearance. 
<laughs> this could be the start of something beautiful right here. <laughs> and she's all over him and she's saying to him, you know, come on come to bed with me and he's like no way and, he, and he's trying to protect his integrity and he puts these safeguards up he's like I'm not going to be on my own with you I want to I want to guard your reputation and my reputation you know this, he says he says with my master in charge with me here my master doesn't concern himself with anything in the house like he trusts me can people trust you like that there's no one greater in the house than I. He's withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife, remember? You're not my wife, you're his wife. How could I do this great evil and sin against God? That's who he recognises that sexual sin is against. It's not against me so much as against you. It's against God. And he recognises that. So he's like, no, I'm not going to do that. The stakes are too high, but she won't let go and she, she tries to wear him down day after day. She keeps on trying to, just happens to be in the position, you know. Hello. No, it's just you and me. And, and he's like, bye, work to do, stuff to do. But she keeps on, keeps on until eventually he she gets cornered, corners him. Verse 11, she grabbed his cloak, says, come to bed with me. And he left the garment in his hand and he legged it. He fled outside. Sometimes that's all you can do in the face of temptation. Stop arguing with it. Stop hanging around the edges of it. Just don't be in the same place as it. And again, he's faithful. He does that. But being, by being faithful to preserve his integrity, he ends up being accused. Could that happen? Yes, it could happen. And she's standing there and she's holding his clothes and she uses them to stitch him up. And this Hebrew slave, she says to the guards, came in to rape me. He's just a Hebrew slave. Who does he think he is? He's got no power to say no to me. And when I screamed, he left his cloak here and he ran outside. You know that phrase, hell has no fury like a woman scorned? Well, he ends up thrown into dungeon when she tells her husband. It's interesting that the capital punishment was in place for adultery in Egypt, but he doesn't get that. Maybe the husband has a wonder about what's actually gone on. But even so, he's still in the prison. He's still in the mess. And if I'm Joseph, I'm like you, I must be thinking, God, where are you? Will you give me a break? Perhaps, Lord. I've just been trying to be faithful. That's all I've been trying to do. I've just been trying to hold on to the dream in some way in the middle of all of this nightmare. And I was faithful to my dad and my brothers betray me. I get stuck down a hole and then I get sold out to slavery. And then I'm, I'm, I'm even faithful there and I get stitched up and thrown into prison. And it just seems unfair. Does it ever seem unfair? And hopeless is getting there maybe. But God, there's an important couple of words there in the story. It keeps coming all the way through the story, by the way. But God. Life would be hopeless. But God. If you've not got God, you have every right to hold on to a hopeless life and to expect nothing better than that. Life is hopeless, but God was not ready to give up on the dream, even if Joseph may have been at some times. The Lord, verse 21, was with Joseph and he extended kindness to him and gave him favour in the sight of the chief jailer. What? Yeah. Everywhere he goes, even in the prison, God's still being kind God's still being good to him. Even in the prison. He ends up running the prison. What's that about? 
He goes from being a prisoner to running the place. Wherever, whatever was done there, he was responsible for. He's running the jail. The chief jailer didn't supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. Because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. He's got supernatural help. He's not discouraged because he knows the Lord is with him no matter what. We're going to watch a video. And as I say, at the end of that, I've got a few more of these. But first of all, I'm going to do two things, two kind of responses. But the first one could just be for one person today. You came in here thinking maybe life's hopeless and you didn't know but God. And you know you need to grab hold of God today. And for some people, as I say, this could be a really brave thing. It's the first time thing. Is I'm just going to stand here with these for a few moments and offer a prayer and you come up and grab one. And it's a sign. You're like saying, I want that hope that only Jesus can give me. Okay? So let's watch the video and then I'll come back up. So, um, I've been thinking about that. It's possible there's all kinds of people in all kinds of holes here today. Why don't you close your eyes for a minute? Is there a pit you found yourself in? Is there somewhere you've found yourself stuck, a place you've found yourself stuck in? It could be a really nice place, it could feel like a palace, but you're still stuck. It could be a prison, it could be a dark place. And if you feel stuck in sorrow, in sadness, in sin, in any of these places, if you've been hurt or betrayed or lied to or lied about, if you've been falsely accused, if you're in a hole, um, what I'm going to do if, if, is just to invite you to come up and get one of these anchors, just generally, if that's you. And as part of that, if it's like a first-time thing for you, just sort of nod at me or something, and I'll also give you this book, Work It Out, which I've written to help you figure out what it is, to follow Jesus and to take him by the hand and, uh, and, and lead him, and be led by him. So if you want to, is your response. Remember in that video, Jesus said to him, it's like, do you want to stay in the hole or do you want to come out of the hole? So um, again, not just necessarily first time you've ever done it but if you're just making a move out of the pit into the light because Jesus is the light then just come on up here and take hold of one of these anchors Say, let me know, just sort of, if you'd like one of the books as well when you come up. Anybody else? We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. That's how we started out this year of hope. This is saying, and you know what this is saying? This isn't saying, oh, Jesus, Jesus just be with me in the hole, because he will be, but then he, he comes to get you out. 
He's got empathy, enough to come in the hole, but he's got power to bring you out of the hole. He doesn't want to just sit with you in the hole. The grave couldn't hold him. He doesn't just come and sit in the grave with us. And he wants us to go and help other people out of their holes, out of their pits as well. Just one more minute. Any other responders? Anybody else saying, actually, yeah, I want to come and take hold of that? And then when you feel yourself maybe going towards that hole again, you can take, that, take this anchor out of your pocket and out of your purse and grab hold of it. Thank you. And just pray holding on to hope. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just pray for people as they're coming up. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. You know, some people are like, oh, it's a bit of an admission of weakness. Thank you very much. I remember hearing somebody said that, oh, well, Christianity is just a crutch. It's like, yeah, but we're broken. I'm glad we've got somebody to lean on. We've got strength outside of ourselves. Thank you, Jesus. I just pray now for your Holy Spirit to come. Let you stand and if you're able to stand and if you've been hopeless, maybe stretch up a hand and just say, More Jesus. More Jesus. Because the world needs a people full of hope. And Lord, I want to be somebody who's full of Jesus. In every situation. There is hope when there's you. So fill me to overflow with you, Lord. Replace hopelessness with hope in you. You're not going to give way. You're not going to give up. You're not going to pull back. You're going to press on. You're going to keep moving forwards. Whatever hole I might have fallen into. Thank you, Lord. You reach in and you rescue me. You, you, you're a saviour you're the saviour there's nobody else could do it Lord various philosophies various religions various answers but Lord in the end it's you there's only you qualified to save so Lord right now I'll put my hand in yours thank you Lord in your nail pierced hand put my hand in your hand and thank you Lord that you reach out to save me, to pull me out and to be with you, to be about your work in this war-torn world, this battle-weary world, to go and be a friend of the Prince of Peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.